For Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, for many Georgia school districts, the transition to online learning has been bumpy. When you have in some metro districts, you know, 100,000 kids or more trying to access the same district network, things get really real really fast. And most districts just aren't set up for learning online for three months. WABE education reporter Martha Dalton joins me for a look at how schools have addressed some of those challenges and what being kept out of the physical classroom could ultimately mean for students. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Last week, as he announced his statewide shelter-in-place order, Governor Brian Kemp also said Georgia's public schools would close through the end of the school year. The COVID-19 pandemic has meant a lot of changes in the world of education here in the state. Distance learning, canceled testing, maybe even shorter school years. WABE education reporter Martha Dalton has been keeping track of all of this, and she joins me now to discuss. Hey, Martha, thanks for talking with me. Hey, Sam, thanks for having me. To start, walk me through the details of the governor's order closing schools. What exactly does it say? Well, what it does is close buildings on K-12 campuses, technical schools, and the state's public colleges and universities. Now, it allows for online learning to take place and also lets districts decide when the last day of school will be. So K-12 districts don't have to stick with their regular school calendars, according to his order. Have schools been changing their calendars then? Well, they're considering it. Now, some districts that are outside of Metro Atlanta have already decided to shorten the school year. APS is considering doing it. Cherokee County is considering doing it. Fulton County has already said that the last day for seniors will be May 1st. Um, So they are looking at that. That's something that districts are considering. Now, this is public schools, I assume, affected by this order. What about private schools in the state? Well, most private schools have shifted to online learning like their public school counterparts. Some waited until Kemp's latest order to make a final decision about the rest of the year. But several private schools made the switch before March 16th, which is when most public schools stopped uh, in-person instruction. If both public and private institutions have, have made this transition to online learning, what have you been hearing from teachers, students, maybe even parents 
about what that transition is like. That seems like a like a big change. Right. It really is a big change. Um, and after talking with teachers, I've really actually been impressed by how creative a lot of teachers have been. Some of them have collaborated with teachers from other schools to create projects for their kids. Others are setting up one-on-one video chats with their students to give them extra help. Um, now, I would say for kids, the transition varies. Um, first, the student needs access to the internet and a device to work with. Uh, but even when they have that, if a child has a learning disability or special needs or just needs some extra help, distance learning is just harder in a lot of cases. How has that kind of played itself out? I mean, are there districts here, whether we're talking, you know, city districts like Atlanta or Decatur, maybe even metro Atlanta county districts that have uh, had problems with access? Definitely in Metro Atlanta, there have been problems with access. Now, we have to remember that even though that is a problem in Metro Atlanta, Metro Atlanta has resources um, and can kind of try to get its students help. Um, If the problem is big in Metro Atlanta, you have to imagine that in rural Georgia, it's a lot bigger than what it is here. But the biggest issue I've heard from teachers and district leaders here has been just access itself. And Atlanta Public Schools Superintendent Maria Karstarfin said last week that in order to give devices to students, the district had to dismantle its online testing system. So here's what she said. The tech labs, the carts that you see in our schools, we dismantled all of that so that we could hand those devices, some 9,000 devices, off to kids. And that will come back to us when we start a new school year. And even though internet providers were offering free service for APS students and a lot of Atlanta area students too, uh, Karstarfin said some families were denied service due to previous outstanding balances they had with the companies. We took it to a higher level inside those telecommunications companies for kids and families who needed to have the teleschooling. So the idea is just like, don't blame the child for the parent not being able to pay their bill. Are other superintendents that you know of having to do that kind of thing? I mean, it seems kind of nuts to have to call a cell phone company to make sure that they don't cut someone's service off. Right, it does. And I don't know if other superintendents have. I'm sure that, you know, they've had the same problem in other districts. I've definitely heard that, you know, that it's not just an APS problem, that companies don't want to give parents free access if they have outstanding bills. Um, but yeah, I would imagine they, they would have to do the same thing because I don't think that, you know, a parent just calling or trying to call or trying to get access would have much luck in that situation. And how about some of the raw numbers? I mean, it's it's one thing to give kids hardware and access. Are, are kids actually logging in to, to classes? So in the few weeks that they've been conducting online learning, APS says almost 90% of its students have logged on regularly. And so that means that, you know, they've consistently logged on. That They're not including people that may log on a couple of times. Considering where they, where they were in terms of kids having technology and access, 90% is pretty good. I mean, it's not it's not great, but it's pretty good. When we're talking about schools, uh, kids get more than an education there. They get meals. They might get other kinds of outside services. How are districts meeting meeting those needs in this time? Well, most districts have been able to provide food and meals and even groceries for families. But if anything there, the hurdle is getting the word out to families about where to go to get meals because they're only offered at certain sites. So what some districts have done is they've loaded up food on buses and they've run the bus routes and just taken food to families. Um, Even with that, sometimes, you know, it's just not enough to reach people. But another service that is offered at some schools, and this is true in APS, is healthcare. Uh, several schools have clinics that serve the community, so not just kids in school, but the entire family. 
Um, and some of those have actually been able to stay open during this time. We're talking the, the same day that the state has heard back um, from the U.S. Department of Education regarding uh, some, some standardized tests here in the state. Spring, certainly for students across K-12, is a time when standardized testing happens. What is happening with that testing now that school isn't happening in the same way it used to? So like you mentioned, Georgia got official word today that its waiver was approved from the federal government. So it doesn't have to give a standardized test this year. It doesn't have to give Georgia milestones. That means that, you know, kids won't have to take end of the year tests. Um, that may be some people may be rejoicing about that. But it also means that schools won't really be accountable for what's been taught this year. So there's kind of a huge question mark in terms of, you know, where schools go next year, kids will still receive grades, they'll still get report cards, and those will be used to determine whether they go on to the next grade or not. So I think there will be a lot of sort of reassessing at the beginning of the next school year. Um, how do we move forward? Does that make districts nervous? I, I certainly understand there are um, probably lots of people who think standardized tests are maybe not the best thing in the world, but it also is a way to kind of evaluate what students learn throughout the year. Without that kind of accountability, or, or, or what are you hearing from, from, from districts about what that will mean for them? Yeah, it really does vary by district because a lot of districts have put in place sort of smaller tests throughout the year um, in addition to Georgia Milestones. So um, the idea being that they want to monitor progress, you know, earlier than just at the end of the year with one giant test. Um, so for those districts, and Cobb springs to mind um, in terms of that, they've been doing that for a while. I would imagine the teachers in those districts feel pretty good, I should say, about having a sense of where their kids are because they've been testing them throughout the year. But with other districts, yeah, that just maybe don't have the resources or kind of rely on that test to give them a lot of information. And, you know, Milestones has been controversial, but it does give a lot of information. It breaks down a lot of data for teachers teachers. So, you know, it really does depend kind of on your school population, on um, the resources that school has and what group of kids you've got as to whether you're excited that Milestones has been canceled this year or whether you're sort of upset about it. Spring also brings um, other notable events in the school year. Uh, graduation comes to mind. Also, you know, your spring dance, your prom. Uh, what are schools doing about about those things? Districts are trying to figure out what to do about graduation, and there's a range on this. So uh, several districts have floated the idea of virtual ceremonies. Uh, in Clayton County, the district sent out a survey to students, and the results came back that they actually said they'd rather postpone graduation to August, if necessary, rather than hold virtual ceremonies. And in APS, uh, Maria Karstarfen has said she's just not sold on virtual ceremonies. So those haven't generated a lot of excitement yet, but it just may be a reality in some cases. And in the case of proms, in-person proms obviously have been canceled, but a lot of districts have let their schools decide if they want to hold virtual proms. Again, you know, that's that's not quite the same as the real thing, but it's just kind of, um, you know, what schools are looking at. Probably a lot cheaper to go to virtual prom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Right. Indeed. You don't have to spend as much on your outfit. Certainly, school is not in session in the summer, but a lot of work is done to prepare for that next school year by teachers, administrators. Are schools already looking at kind of contingency plans if, if we're in a situation where kids can't go back to school, say, in August when they normally do? 
Yeah, that's really what districts are trying to figure out now. And it's not easy. I mean, obviously, it's not easy to predict what may happen or may not happen. But most districts haven't even finalized their budgets for the upcoming year yet. So those could look different now. Um, And APS, for example, um, you know, Maria Karstarfen has talked about possibly extending the school day and or the school year, especially if APS ends the school year early this year. And she said that could cost millions of dollars because you're looking at, you know, paying teachers extra, keeping buildings open longer. So, you know, there are a lot of things that districts are trying to figure out now. And quite honestly, you know, it's a tough thing to navigate because we don't know what it's going to look like in the fall. The districts that you've been talking to, did they have any plans for something like this? Well, technically, yes, there were plans, but... As you know, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Um, So when you have in some metro districts, you know, 100,000 kids or more trying to access the same district network, things get really real really fast. And most districts just aren't set up for learning online for three months. They're prepared to conduct it for, you know, a few inclement weather days. And usually that's only triggered after school has been out for three days. So when was the last time in Atlanta where schools were out for four consecutive days due to inclement weather? You know, so districts really have to rethink their tech capabilities, and this has kind of given them the opportunity to do it. I'm wondering what this really means for for the students and their education. Do you have a sense of whether or not this kind of distance learning truly is as effective as as classroom learning? Right. And the experts that I've talked to have said that Online learning, distance learning just isn't as effective for most students, the majority of students. There are some students who thrive, um, but it's just not true for the majority. And of course, you know, assignments can be issued and checked online. There are certain things you can do. Teachers can have video chats and check-ins. But a lot of teachers I've talked to said that they read their students' faces and their body language in class to know if they're getting the material. So usually that tells them if they need to review something or if a child needs extra help. And obviously, that just can't be done the same way online. I'm thinking like a third grader now who's trying to read or, you know, like an eighth grader who's really trying to learn algebra. Like, are these kids just going to be behind? Like, are people using that kind of language yet? I've definitely heard school leaders say things like, you know, kids will be behind. This will leave kids behind a little bit behind. Um, But they haven't said, you know, they'll miss a full year of algebra or anything like that. I do believe that teachers uh, in the fall will be doing, if if school, you know, is back in session in the fall, in person, they'll be doing a lot of reteaching, a lot of catching up, a lot of extended days, um, a lot of extra help, a lot of tutoring, you know, because it's not just that they haven't been in class for three months. It's by that point, it'll be six months. So yeah, I think the fall, you know, will tell us a lot. I guess we'll learn a lot, you know, even in the summer and the months leading up um, to see sort of what direction we're headed in and what what sort of situation we're in. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also rate us and leave us a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If y'all haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
Have you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.